sounds like you made a lot of difficult choices, and it took a lot of courage to make those choices. So we often uh, quote a friend of ours by the name of Georgia Dare, who said that everything that you want is on the other side of fear. Ugh, that is so true. And, and, and it's funny, once again, I think that first time that I really decided to do that by not going to medical school and came out of it okay, I think that was when I realized that that quote was true. It's like, oh, all that panic, all those sleepless nights, all the crying, all the worrying, how I would be perceived by deciding not to do this. Everybody expected me to do this. Um, I would have been good at this. You know, all of those things you're giving, why are you throwing this away? Um, Once I got on the other side of that and realized I'm 22, you know, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? I'm not ready to make that decision yet. And, And that was sort of what started me on the trajectory of I've always been creative maybe I should see if I can do something with that. You had to tell your parents. I did. I did. But you know, my parents are really wonderful people in the sense that, well, they're wonderful for many reasons, but they have always just wanted me to be happy. And I think they've always trusted me. And so when I, when I told them both what I was going to do, I was really nervous about their reaction. And of course, the first thing out of my dad's mouth was, well, I'm so glad you're not going to be a doctor because he was a doctor. And I think I think they had a different perspective. When you're in an industry, you always kind of have a different perspective about it. And then um, he said, look, he said, if you want to do whatever you want to do, he's like, we'll be here to support you, you know, in, a, in an emotional sense. So it also shows me your parent tells me a lot about your parents also, their mm-hmm. strength of character. Right. Because I'm sure that it there were other people around oh, yes. who participated in Schadenfreude and then take, took the light in that. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Hello. Oh, you mean, oh, so so Natalie's not going to medical uh-huh. school. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, there was a, a little bit of that for mm. sure. Um, but luckily, like, especially my mother, she really doesn't care much about what other people think. And I think she definitely learned that from her mother, who really, my grandmother really didn't care. So, and, <laughs> she I, did what she wanted to and, do. And, Strong again, women. <laughs> again, that's a that's a topic I'd like to discuss at some point too. I'd like to discuss Grandma Sita. Oh yeah, Grandma. She was um, wow. She she was the strong, probably the strongest person I've ever known. And and I regret not paying her more attention when I was a kid because she died when I was twenty one, and I was terrified of her most of my life because. I don't think I don't think I was terrified. Or she, she wasn't scary to me in the sense like I never was afraid of her harming me or anything like that. But she was so powerful in herself, in her authentic self. And um, you know, she she didn't get married till she was thirty two. She became an army nurse and worked in London. She traveled the country. She worked on Navajo reservations, working with children. Like she did all of these amazing things. She never thought she'd have children, and she ended up having five. Um, she was a, an incredibly powerful woman, a very, very progressive woman. And I think when I think of the ancestors, when I need strength that I'm pulling from, she is a person I call to a lot. I particularly, when reading some of your writings, when you wrote for the Huffington Post, uh, how she met your grandfather, her husband, mm-hmm. he won a lot of money in a poker game. He was wounded and she was caring for him. And she took his winnings and gave it to charity. She sure did. And of course, he fell in love with her right then because any woman that's willing to do that, he he a clearly loved strong women too. And I never met him. And um, he died when my mom was only 19. And mm-hmm. my mom always said to me, he would have loved you. He loved strong women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when she gave 
birthed me, everybody thought I was going to be a boy. And she never found out and she wanted to be surprised, right? So everybody said, you're having a boy, you're having your boy. So they didn't have any girl names picked out. And so when I was born, they didn't have a name for me. And my mom looked at me and the name Natalie popped into her head. That's what they called me. And then my grandmother said to her that that was my grandfather's favorite name. Uh, so I feel very akin, like a kindred spirit to him as well. Well, one thing that particularly touched me was when you were in, going through a room and you found the poem. Yeah. my When my grandmother passed, I, I was in her home and uh, I was looking through her things just to find things to put out for the, you know, the wake. And I came across this poem and it was written about her when she was in, you know, when she was in her late 20s and she was this army nurse in London, they had this little newspaper that circulated the whole hospital. And someone wrote a poem about like her sexiness and how sexy she was, right? And and we have such an idea of our grandparents. You know, my grandmother, who's this little old white-haired woman that spent all her time in the garden, was always dirty and, you know, could kill mice. And like, she wasn't sexy. There was other, But then you, you read these words and you go, oh my gosh, these were, th- this is a person. This is a whole woman. My experience with her was so limited that I didn't see all of these other aspects of her. And we forget sometimes because we, we keep people as players in our lives, right? We're all, we're all players in, in, in life. But I sometimes think we forget that people have these experiences far beyond our attachment to them. And so to see her in that light when I was 21 made me uh, so appreciative of her just as a being, and I thought that she was even more powerful. She had this other – now she had this other magic power that I didn't even realize that she possessed, you so know, as this like woman. it sounds like this generational transmission went down from your grandmother to your mother to yourself. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I think she'd be um, – she'd be entertained by what I'm doing. I But I remember talking to her one time and I said, Grandma, I'm going to be a big success someday. And she looked at me and she goes, and you're going to work really hard. She's like, and don't you forget it. You better work really hard. And I said, I will. And that was always her was, that's fine. You can you can do whatever, but you better think, you know, don't think you're not going to work for it. <laughs> so it took a lot of courage and courage is the ability to deal with it. And fear is a good thing. Yes. Fear is a good thing. I'm not trying in any way to suggest, you know, fear is, is companion. It's a guardian on your shoulder. It, it can alert you to things, but it also alerts you to pushing past things too and not running from things. And in the therapy world, as you well know, Emotions are neither good nor bad. Of course, it's your reaction. It's to just them. yeah. It's just that's what you feel, you know. And I and and whenever I whenever I used to do therapy, and even now when I'm talking to friends that are going through something, and they're like, I don't want to feel this way, and I don't want to feel. This, just feel it. My one teacher and I, I live by this. If you don't feel it, you can't heal it. And I truly believe that to be true. You have to sit with it for a minute. It's okay to just be uncomfortable with it. And you know, when I started doing yoga almost ten years ago, I quickly understood, oh, I'm really uncomfortable in this pose. Oh, it's okay. And, and, and I started using that mindset for other aspects of my life. If I'm in, in an uncomfortable situation, that's okay. I don't need to feel great all the time for something to matters for something well, to make what sense. We, what we resist persists. Exactly. You know, okay? So I often, all of the rhyming. I, often, I love all of the rhyming. <laughs> I often I often use this example. I said, well Natalie, uh when you came in, Natalie, there's this seven foot tall giraffe with uh wearing a pink tutu, a top hat and a cigar uh, shaking a tambourine <laughs> in the corner and I can't get rid of them. They've been here for days. Ignore them. <laughs> could you could you take your eyes off of it? Right, of course not. Of course not. So <laughs> we ask people to embrace yeah. what they have and embrace it because 
it's part of you. Yes. And as we discussed earlier, people are constantly being manipulated and uh, told what they believe that they should be. Yes. Okay. And um, the whole idea about that is we're taught today that we shouldn't experience any type of pain or discomfort at all. It's so funny that you just said that I was, that thought was running through my mind as you're talking about it. I, and this is my problem with sort of Instagram culture. I'll use that as an example, just because everywhere on Instagram, all the memes, all the quotes, it's, you know, love yourself. You know, if it doesn't bring you bliss, get rid of it. Like all of this nonsense that is not a part of a full human experience. You know, one of my friends was talking about how um, something was really making her sad. And I said, well, I live, I, I sit with sadness every day. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, I sit with sadness. I sit with joy. I sit with anger. I mean, these are just your emotions. Why are you trying to run away from what is a normal experience of, of yourself? And as we do that, isn't that the thing that begins to chase us? Well, uh, my mentor, my colleague, my friend, Dr. Sanford Chandra, always suggested to people that those were learning days. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> Every day's a learning day. <laughs> well, our, uh, our friend Freddie Nietzsche said, you know, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. There you go. So, um, the whole idea is, what can I take away from this experience? Well, exactly. And, and to your point much earlier in the conversation, it's all about your perspective. You know, you can look at something and think, oh, why me? You can look at something and go, why not me? Or you can just look at it and just go, okay, it is what it is. You know, what can I, what, what can I take from this to help move me forward? Well, we talked before about life is in two columns, things I can control yes. and things I cannot. Yes. And I think if we would spend more time on what we can control and stop trying to control what we can't, we'd all be off, uh, better off in the long term. Well, we help people understand. And again, I keep referring to 12-step terms. It's people have the lenses in their glasses reversed. Mm. And if we turn them around and say, I'm not interested in what you can't do, tell me what you can do. Yeah. And, and it's so funny to me because people are so resilient. And I see miracles happen all the time with people and people surprise me all the time. We are so much more capable of things than we think we are and we can do so much more than we think we can. And that's why to your point of comfort zones, get out of your comfort zone because it's an exciting feeling to think, I didn't even know I could do this. And then to do it, you know, even it's a, something as simple as a headstand in yoga class, you know, or, or something as simple as, I don't know, you know. Uh, trying trying to make something new for dinner or the little things that just push you to think about things differently. Either you can do it or you cannot. Exactly. And that, that's it. That's, and if you cannot do it, okay. Yeah, it's fine. That's we do good. put a lot of weight on that too. You know, like what will happen if the, nothing, it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> it's fine. What happens if I fail? Oh, well, then you fail. Exactly. And try, try again. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I think sometimes we do put way too much. I, I mean, I'm guilty of that. And I've gotten better at it. But especially when I was younger, like, whew, so much pressure. Well, it's like you've heard the story about Edison where the uh, investigative reporter came up to him and said, tried to get a rise out of him, tried to get a quote. And he said, tell me, Mr. Edison, how does it feel to have failed a thousand times, referring to the filaments? And Edison looked at him and says, I've never failed. I found a thousand things that didn't work. Exactly. And I, I, I think about that quote a lot, actually, in life. And yeah, I, I I love looking at it that way because he gained so much knowledge through all of those trials and tribulations. And like he said, like you said, he found a thousand ways it didn't work, but he ended up finding the way that it another did. Another perspective. Yeah. Another perspective. Yeah. So everyone out there is capable of wondrous things, Natalie. And if they're not doing some wondrous things, uh, 
then they're they're wasting their most valuable currency and that's time. I agree. So sometimes what we do, we use a little exercise where we ask people to name their favorite color in the moment, name their favorite shape in the moment. Then we ask them to imagine that they have a pocket full of these irreplaceable, magnificent, exquisite items. And that's their time. And we try to help them be mindful of how they're spending that time mm -hmm. when they do anything in their life. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no refunds either. No. And, you know, I think I've always been more cognizant of time than probably maybe some other people my age, because my mother being a nurse, she was just around a lot of sickness and death a lot. And she used to always say to us when we were growing up and to this day, she says it, be grateful, you know, just be grateful for what you have and make the most of your, of your day. Because there are so many people that aren't getting opportunities to do anything right now, you know? And I think about that when I'm feeling sorry for myself or when I'm having a tantrum in my head about something that's not going my way. And I'm like, well, did you wake up? Can you, can you breathe? Do you have air in your lungs? Are you able to think? Okay, then things aren't bad. So, so you <laughs> just can, be so grateful. You can be in, the, the whole idea is to be insanely grateful about yeah. what you do have. Because if you didn't have those things, Natalie, you'd be longing for them. Uh, that's the truth. And, and, you know, gratitude really is an attitude, right? And I think when you focus on what you have, your life is just better in general. And I don't mean physical material things. I'm, I mean, when you focus on the people that you have, the experiences that you've had, the wisdom that you've gained, um, those to me are things that are, that make life worth living. And so when you focus on that, it, it only brings more of that to you. Gratitude's an action word. Mm -hmm. Bill Wilson, one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous said, it's an action word and it has to go forward. Yeah, that's so true. And, and I think, uh, when we're grateful, we show more compassion to the people around us and to ourselves. And I think self-compassion is something that we don't really talk much about in our culture, but I think more of us need to just be kinder to ourselves because then you truly are kinder to everybody around you. Well, the Buddha says there's compassion and there's great compassion. Mm. Compassion is you, you love your husband, you love your mother, you love your father. It's, it's easy to be nice to them. Right. Great compassion is to have an understanding of everyone and everything. Oh, yeah. That's why I always say that, you know, after I, I know social work school changed me, fundamentally changed me for the better. It made me a less self-centered person and it made me think outside my, my own experience. And um, it also made me recognize that um, stop ascribing morality to people's situations and just start loving people. And and I don't mean loving, hugging, kissing, but the idea of recognizing yourself in them and them in you. Well, when we talk about that, we talk about positive self-regard. Yeah. Unconditional positive self-regard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can, we don't have to accept a person's behavior. Correct. We can always accept them. Correct. Yeah. And, and that sense of, we were talking about that higher self and, and feeling that seeing that higher self in that other person and knowing that that person, their mm -hmm. higher self exists too, their authentic self is there. So when we're talking about, when we talked about the introduction to this show today, we talked about we're looking for people to create themselves. And yeah. it sounds like you're in a continual process of that. I am. <laughs> I think so. Um, I hope so. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've reinvented myself a few times already in my career and with myself as a person and um, it's funny that I'm doing this today because on the drive here, I was listening to my my iPod and or my my iPhone that has my iTunes on it, and a very old um, XM radio clip that I did from almost ten years ago popped up on my list, and I didn't even know I still had it on my phone. 
And I'm listening to my 25-year-old self doing a show in New York with a host of a wellness show. And I'm listening to her. And I'm like, wow, I, I hear the seeds of who I am today, but I didn't, I wasn't ready yet. And I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And, and I, it was really interesting kind of having that experience today before you're doing this, because there is that sense of evolution with the self. And then I, I just started to laugh because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, so much has changed Isn't in almost 10 years. Isn't that your ability to laugh at that? Yeah. Well, because, you know, she really, me being she, like, really thought she knew a lot of stuff and and it wasn't bad it wasn't well, you know at the time you did I, but at the time i yeah at the time you I knew did, what you knew i knew what i knew but it's just i what i found cool about it was like okay i i recognize how far i've come since then and that was a really uh, neat space so you look back yeah which i don't do very often i'm not a very reflective person mm. i'm always i need you know i've got to move forward and so for me that was i have to sometimes stop and reflect because Sometimes you forget how far you've come and well, you get frustrated. The whole idea is that we do reverse chain analysis. Mm. Usually when something goes wrong, Natalie, they'll go back through all the chain of events and right. how did this terrible thing happen? Right. But however, when something goes right, we never yeah. look back and say, how did this that's positive true. event happen that I can add to and reinforce these factors? Yeah, that's a really good point. And so I guess to, to your point, I guess when I looked back and saw those seeds, those I could hear what I was starting to formulate. I was I was hearing those ideals starting to formulate. I wasn't there yet, but they were there in, in seedling form. And now to kind of see that they've bloomed, they're like little seedlings now. Well, <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool. When Socrates went to the Oracle of Delphi and, and Greece, and uh, really what they were is these Vestal Virgins that stood over this grape that was coming up from a volcano and all the, the, the fumes that made them hallucinate, really. <laughs> and, the, and the priest behind them translated the nonsense. So they have, when Socrates came back, the, the people of Athens asked, hey, what, the, what, the, what did it say? And uh, they said, well, it said I was the wisest man in the world. And uh, they said, well, what do you think that means? He says, well, I'm the only person in the world who truly understands their own ignorance. <laughs> that's, you know what, though? That's so true, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence, Natalie. I agree. Um, yeah. You're you're absolutely right about that. And arrogance, I mean, is just I think a veil for insecurity, right? And and I think as you get older, you you've come across arrogance much more than I've come across confidence. So it's so easy to point out when I see actual confidence in people because you don't see it very often. You follow confident people. Yes. You avoid arrogant people. Yes. I have no time for it. So after you, <laughs> so after you left medical school, you made a trip to New York City and you met somebody who kind of changed your life a bit. Yeah. It's funny how serendipitously things sometimes happen. And, and I think that success really is, you know, part talent, part tenacity, and a little bit of luck, too. And um, when I met the, the person that I ended up starting, I started a webzine um, with this person. And I call it a webzine because this was mid 2000s. So literally, it was a web. Uh, an actual magazine on the web where you had to like use Adobe Flash to like download the whole thing. I mean, this was the early days of of the interweb being a real thing. And um, I started a magazine about healthy relationships. And I ran that for about five years. And that's how I ended up starting to do a lot of media work. And it was a, such a crash course in everything. Um, it was a crash course in understanding social media because Twitter had just launched. Um, Facebook was just taking taking hold. I had to learn all that. I ended up hiring 14 people, like learning the whole aspects of 
hiring people. I, I got it up to 25,000 readers a month after time and, mm. and, and figuring all of that out. And it was such a crash course in so many areas. But, you know, looking back on all of that and all those experiences, that was how I ended up going back to school because I started doing, I was telling you some media work in New York. And one of the shows I did, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, who's the medical director at NYU, he said to me after we did a show together, he's like, you know, you're really good at this, this talking thing. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he goes, no, you should really go back to school for it. That way you're not just a talking head. You could actually like, you know, have some legit credibility behind you. And I said, well, I don't want to get my PhD. He's like, what are you talking about? He's Pitt has one of the best social work programs in the country. And I was like, really? I was like, okay. So I, I, to be honest with you, it felt like such a good idea. I didn't really think much about it. I went to the school when I got back to Pittsburgh that week and they looked at my transcripts and they basically said, yeah, you just apply, you'll get in. So I did and I started that fall. And so it was one of those interesting leaps in my life where kind of, I think other people said to me at the time, like, why did you, that was a very fast decision, but I don't know why. It just felt really right to do it. And so I just did it and it led me to you know, becoming a social worker. I ended up ending the magazine. We ended up going our separate ways after about five years. I worked as a therapist and I was really depressed. I was really, really depressed because that creative outlet I had been so fulfilled in for for five years was gone again. And here I was working as a therapist and I was doing great, doing feeling like I was doing great work, but I did not have my creativity and I was feeling very sad. You know, I'd come home and I just didn't feel like myself. And that's when the whole thing with the Post-Gazette appeared. <laughs> and it and it really did appear. Well, we uh, often talk about that on this show, we tell people there is no luck. There's chance. Right. But there is no luck. We prepare ourselves to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you would have been, uh, now when you were in New York, you were in, those circumstances presented themselves. Right. However. Right. If you wouldn't have been that person like you were there. Would you have, could you have succeeded? No, no. And I think, but part of that too, getting, you know, the whole theme of this show is comfort zones, I guess, because saying yes to new opportunities and being willing to put yourself out there. I mean, I really had very little business putting myself out there in the way that I did, but I felt excited about things. I felt like I could contribute to this conversation. I wanted to be, you know, somebody and I thought, well, I'll just see where this goes. I'll just try. And, um, you know, sometimes a little blind faith in yourself is a good thing. <laughs> For those of you who are interested in our conversation with Miss Natalie, uh, be sure as we are going to continue the to write this story and hear about her eventful life who really envelops the concept of full impact mindfulness. That's exploding into her life and participating in her life. Uh, very fascinating. So uh, as always, we offer a free prescription at the end of every podcast, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we ask that you fish without bait. And as always, forgive yourself, forgive another, do a kindness for yourself, do a kindness for another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste. please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. 
Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.